Thanks for tuning into Journey. Everyone is welcome at the table. We are a community being shaped by Jesus, experiencing and practicing humility, curiosity, belonging, and generosity. We hope to be a people who embrace the way of Jesus by listening first, speaking second, loving freely, and giving generously. Well, um, Anthony Hendricks has been a really good friend of our community. As I said earlier, he is the um, one of the co-founders of The Public, which is a grassroots organization that started here in Franklin to have and facilitate conversations around race with all members of the community. And um, besides that, he has been a pastor. He lives in Franklin with his wife, Carla, and their four kids. And he currently works at Amazon, and he got a promotion this week, y'all. So it's been a good week. So warmly welcome, Anthony Hendricks. Oh, I forgot again. So I did tell Anthony that we are a church that welcomes lots of questions. So we'll have the text line up um, now and again, too. So feel free to text in your questions, and hopefully we'll have time at the end to answer some questions, maybe. Well, we don't have a second service, so we can just yeah, roll. Yeah, so right. you'll see. You'll get the vibe. <laughs> and then um, whatever questions we don't get to, of course, we'll try to get to throughout the week. So. All right. Good morning. Good morning. So I am a black preacher, in case you didn't know that. What that means is I might get a little excited while I'm preaching. That's just passion. That's not anger. So don't get up and leave when I get passionate. I might start yelling and stuff so like that. Then you can say something to me. That's called call and response. That's a, that's, a, that's a thing that was born in the black church. When we talk, that's right. You say that's right. Or, <laughs> If it really gets you real good, you say, you better go ahead and preach that message. You can yell that out at me. It's all right. There you go. That's right. We got somebody from Texas, so I'm looking for you. Now, when you get quiet, I might say something. Like y'all getting quiet on me. All right. So, uh, so anyway, we are, I'm excited about being here. I love Journey Church. Um, um, and, and here's one of the reasons why. Um, in this work, um, it is difficult. And there are a lot of days where I am discouraged and ready to throw in the towel. And, and it's people like the folks here at Journey Church that keep me going. Um, it's, it's the folks that I see doing the work. And it's a lot of work. We're about to talk about that in a minute. And so we're going to have a little fun this morning because it's such a tough topic that I got to do some joking and stuff to keep you guys laughing. Because if not, you'd be crying out there. All right, y'all ready? Yeah. This morning we're going to talk about common unity or community, God's call to common unity. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful this morning. Um, God, I am, I'm probably the most grateful in this room because you have chosen to put me before your people to speak again. And I am always blown away that you use this broken, damaged, just terrible vessel to communicate such a pure word. And so, God, um, would you speak? I reduce myself, Lord God, and let your Holy Spirit say whatever to whomever. And at the end of the day, at the end of this message, my prayer, God, is that your spirit, you, that Jesus would get glory. For I do ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. So the year was 1983. Anybody, anybody was born around that stuff? Some of y'all young people are like, what is he, where is he going with this? 1983, the day was Friday. 
December the 3rd. Y'all like, man, he, he just remembers it. Yeah, it was an important day. I remember jumping on the bus. I was a senior in high school. I'm on the bus, man. I'm excited because all week long, there's this buzz going on about this new video that was coming out on this new cable station called Music Television. Anybody with me? The older folks are like, yeah, I remember that. MTV, that was the big thing back in the 80s, right? I know you guys got all kinds of, what, what is it, like 1900 channels now? Like back in the day, when cable came out, it was like the thing. So anyway, I'm on the bus. I'm like, man, you, you know you ready? Are you ready? And this was the day that Michael Jackson released his 13-minute music movie slash video called Thriller. Who remembers that? Who was even born for that? <laughs> So, so I'm running home, and man, I get my, get my, me and my sister, we sit down in front of the TV, and boom, there it is. And Mike comes on, and he got Ola Ray with her fine self on there, walking down the street. They go to the movies, and they are looking at this scary movie. And Ola gets too scared. She gets up and leaves the movie. Y'all flowing with me? Anybody remember this? Right? So, they, so she's walking down the street angry at Mike because he took her to this scary movie. And Mike is kind of kind of catching up with her, and he's talking to her. And while they're walking, something starts happening. Who remembers? Right? These dead folks start coming up out of the grave, right? And um, Mike and Ola are like, what is going on? And, you know, here come the dead folks. Why do dead people move so slow? <laughs> like, who, who watches, the, uh, like, what is it, Night of the Living Dead? No, what is it? Walking Dead, who watches that? Okay, that's cool. You know, I'm not into eating people, but if that's your thing, that's cool. But my daughter watches it, and it seems like every, every zombie movie, they, they, it's like, who can't outrun a zombie? Like, how are they getting people? This is, this is just stuff that I think about. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a deep thinker. <laughs> so, so anyway, you know, um, so here come the zombies and, you know, they, how, why is it the zombies, they always have something wrong with their leg. It's only one leg, though. Is that me again? I'm just, I, did, I think about these things. Like, why are they always dragging this one leg? And, and, and why is it that, you know, the white women that they, they're, they're running after always trip and fall? Did you, you ever notice that? It's like, girl, get up. They're moving like a, a mile an hour. You can get away from them. That's just, these are my internal thoughts. I'm letting y'all in on my thoughts. So anyway, Mike and, and Ola are getting down, and then here come the, 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 the zombies. And they finally get to the place where they were supposed to be. And Ola turns around, and Mike is, he's gone. He's a zombie, right? And they start the what? The dance, right? Everybody, even if you weren't born then, remembers the dance. As a matter of fact, there are still people to this day, that are doing the dance. And that's important because there is something special about the fact that all of these dead people, when they got up and got to the place where they were supposed to be, all knew to do this dance together. And it was done so well that it all looked like one body as they were moving, whatever they were doing, right? Y'all know where I'm going with this? The Bible says that we as believers were, no, I mean, I ain't gonna, just turn to it. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2. This morning I tried to read without my readers. I'm old, y'all. Let's go. 
Ephesians chapter 2. Now, this is an important book. I love reading from it because Ephesians, whenever you're reading Scripture, you always want to read Scripture in the, context, in the proper context, right? The context of Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus is this. Ephesians, or the church at Ephesus, was a multi-ethnic church. It was made up of both Jews and Gentiles, two groups who had had beef with each other for a long time. So Paul is writing this letter to the church at Ephesus. Now, with that in mind, when you go home, I want you to read the book again and see how often Paul makes reference to this coming together as he's writing to this multi-ethnic church. Chapter 2, he says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the rule of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. That word there means to be quickened, to be made alive. Right? So as believers, we have been made alive, not just to walk around aimlessly, but to do something. Now, how do I know that? He goes on to say this in, in verse 10. He says, for we are God's workmanship or masterpiece created to do what? Good works. So God has raised us to newness of life so that we might do something. And, and, and he goes on because, again, he's writing to this multi-ethnic church. He gets down to verse 15, and he says, um, let's start at 14. For he himself is our peace, talking about Jesus, who has made the two one and has destroyed, listen to this, the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Why is he talking about that? Because there was hostility between the Jew and the Gentile. Lock that in because we're going to talk about this other hostility that exists right here in America. Y'all with me? He says, by abolishing in his flesh the law with commandments and regulations, watch this. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. So Paul's writing to this multi-ethnic church. He's saying, listen, man, God has raised you from the dead with a purpose. I believe that purpose, and we're going to talk about it in a minute, but I believe that purpose is that we might walk together in unity. You say, man, where you get that from? I'm so glad you asked that question. Turn with me over to John chapter 17. Who, who knows the high priestly prayer? Anybody ever read the high priestly prayer before? Raise your hand. I told y'all, now wait a minute, hold on. Now, I said earlier that I want some feedback, right? I just asked a question. All you had to do, you didn't have to say anything. You, all you had to do was raise your hand. And, I, you know, you're like, let me ask the question again. Who has read John 17? Thank you very much. You, you can say something. Yeah, I read it. You can say something like that. That's okay. John 17, Jesus is on his way to the cross to do damage to the enemy, right? 
He is the overthrower, right? When you hear him talk about who is the son of man, when they were at um, uh, Caesarea Philippi, and Jesus said, Peter, hey, guys, who do, who do men say the son of man is? And remember, Peter finally got it right. Man, you are the son of man, the, the son of God. He said, you got it right, Pete. And then Pete put his foot in his mouth. But Jesus said, I am the overthrower. Who do men say the son of man, the overthrower is? Peter said, it's it's the Christ. He's the Christ. He said, you've said it exactly correct. And now I must go to Jerusalem to overthrow. I'm going to Jerusalem. The Sanhedrin is going to arrest me. They're going to murder me. And I'm going to come back to life. He told him that at Caesarea Philippi. So Jesus is now in the position where he's about to do his business. And he says, listen, man, I, I need to pray. Boys, go over there and, and hang out for a little while and help me pray. Jesus goes to pray. He comes back. Peter and them all, they gone. They sleep. Three times, right? So anyway, Jesus is now with the Father praying. And, get, and, look, and look at what he says. The first part of 17, I'm not going to read all of 17, but, but Jesus is saying, God, remember this plan that we put together before the beginning of time so that we might reconcile ourselves to our creation. It's about to go down. And I'm so excited, God. So I'm just praying that you would give me strength in my, in my humanness to do what we've already planned. That was the first part of John 17. And then he says, now for my boys, because they're going to, man, they're going to struggle, God. I know they're going to struggle. Because when they see the way I'm going to be murdered, they're going to have a problem. So can you look in on my boys, the apostles, make sure that they're good. That was the second part of John 17. And then he goes into this. Let me read this real quick. Verse 20 says, my prayer is not for them alone. Who is the them? The apostles. That's right, the disciples, right? He said, but I also pray for those who will believe in me, Jesus says, through their message. Who is that? That's right. Isn't Isn't that beautiful? Jesus is about to be murdered the next day, and he has you and me on his mind. You ain't ever thought about it like that before, have you? If you knew you were going to be murdered yesterday, tomorrow, you were going to die tomorrow, what would your conversation be? Let's see what Jesus' conversation is. He says, now I'm praying for the folks that will believe, us, that all of them may be one. Why is that important, Jesus? He says, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. Watch this. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me. Isn't that amazing? So Jesus, on the night he's about to be betrayed and and murdered the next day, says, man, you know those folks that are going to believe in me? God, if you could just get them to unify, two things are going to happen. First, the world's going to know that you love them. Secondly, they're going to know that you sent me for them. So in this prayer, Jesus ties the gospel message into this thing called unity. How do you think American church is doing with that? I'm amazed that anybody's coming to know Christ. 
I'm amazed. We've got so much work to do. Because listen, we are not dancing. Listen, we've been raised to newness of life. And, and God is like, I just need you to get into position because once you get into position, man, we can start rocking this thing. But the church is, man, we're not even, not, alone, not only are we not dancing, we can't even walk together in this country. So knowing what Jesus has prayed now, we've got an assignment. You think other folks knew about this assignment years before we were here? You think somebody else probably read this and saw what Jesus said? You think? Yeah. So, so why are we still in the position that we're in now? Why is it that the church, the American church, is really the only segregated institution remaining in the nation? Yet, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, I believe, that we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. We got some work to do. Amen? So, so, so in the same book, Ephesians, Paul again is still talking to this group of folks who are different than, than each other. The Jews are different than the Gentiles. And there's history, ugly history between them. And so Paul, when he gets to chapter 6, he says, finally, in verse 10, he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. He says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Why is that important? He says it right here in verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Y'all ever ask the question, what does that mean? We, I was always taught that, you know, it's not against people. It's against the principalities. And, but he's, he's speaking to a multi-ethnic church. Again, context means everything. So when he says flesh and blood, I believe he's talking about flesh and ethnicity. We're not wrestling against each other, my white brothers and sisters. We are wrestling against principalities. And so what, what do we have to do? Well, he says here, you've got to stand against the schemes of the enemy. So how can you stand against the schemes of the enemy when you don't know what those these schemes are? Oh, did I hear that? Yeah, yeah. You want to know what they are? Good, good, good question. Good question. Let's talk about the schemes of the enemy. We got four of them. The first one, free will individualism. It's, the, it's an ideology that was birthed out of the Enlightenment, but it's an unbiblical ideology. The thing we need to understand is that ideology is in the DNA of the American church. Individualism, the love of self and self-preservation. And so if anything gets in our way, we're going to deal with it. And that's exactly what the church has done. Time out. It's exactly what the white American church 
has done. Don't get mad. Read. Because this stuff is not hidden. And I'm not saying that you're a bad person. What I am saying is historically, the body of Christ, given the ministry of reconciliation, supposed to be dancing, is not even walking because we don't understand the schemes of the enemy. And so we're operating in this free will individualism, which is this, this idea that uh, we exist independent of structures and of uh, institutions. Why is that important? It's the ideology that we exist independent of structures and institutions. If you believe that, then when a group of people start saying this institution or the structure of the American government is doing things against a certain people group, you're going to push against that because it's about the individual. Now, what I will say is this. This individuality is not a biblical issue, but we've, we've grabbed a hold of it. It's all about us, the independence, right? Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I don't have time to go there, he talks about this thing called body life. Like when we have come in, man, I'm going to go there. I want to read it. <laughs> See, y'all made me go over here. Come on, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He talks about spiritual gifts, which is, man, I got so much I want to say now. The Holy Spirit didn't drop this stuff on me earlier, did he? Right? I'm, I'm supposed to say it. I'm supposed to say it. All right. Spiritual gifts he talks about in the beginning of chapter 12. And then he says this in verse 12 of chapter 12, 1 Corinthians. He says, the body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ, for we are all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether, here it is, Jews or Greeks. Why is he saying that? He, Paul is all about bringing stuff together. Unity. Slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. So what are we going to do about that? This free will individualism, this ideology, this idea is damaging because, the, it, listen, we, this, this is an Eastern book. I know that surprises some of you. No, because we have so Americanized the scriptures. We've Westernized this Bible. It's an Eastern book. And look, I'm right with you, man, because up until I went to Israel back in 2013 and again in 2015, I was all over Western ideology. And it rocked me to my core when I went with our speaker from next week, for next week, Christy McClellan. And I came back and I'm like, man, what have I, what have I, what have I been doing? My Western education at Moody Bible Institute, the whole time in Israel, I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So what you're saying is, I don't know how many times I said that. Because most of what we've learned, we've learned from a Western perspective. And so this whole idea of free will individualism is very Western. This book itself, the context of which it was written, the people, the culture, is all communal. And we have a problem getting small groups set up around here. 
That's not, listen, we don't live in the ideology of community. We don't. And it's not your fault. We all, we've been raised in this culture. And this culture is not a communal culture. We are a culture of individualists. And that damages this unity that we're trying to do. Because I'm an individual, I don't need you. I don't need what you can bring and you don't need what I can bring. When the scriptures are completely flipped, we're, we're a part of a body, right? Like if, if I'm the hand, I need the arm or I'm disconnected from the body. But we don't think like that. As a culture, we think very individualistic. That's the first scheme of the enemy, and it's been working really well. That's when you can say amen. Yeah, <laughs> because it has. Scheme number two. Hyper-politicism. That's what I'm talking about, man. Yes, did y'all hear that? <laughs> man, I don't have the time to get into all of the, the isms around hyper-politicism. But I will say that the evangelical church, they have sold their souls to a party. Sorry. Now, I got to say this because somebody, I know you think, and I'm a Democrat because I'm black. I'm not. I'm not a Democrat nor a Republican. My God doesn't ride on the backs of elephants or donkeys. He's an independent, and so am I. So I ain't talking about your party because I'm in another party. I'm talking about all of it. All of it is ungodly, and we've made government, we've put government above the word of God. And it's caused continued division in the body. And again, why is that important? What's Jesus' prayer again? God, can they just be one? Because if they're one, listen, the culture is going to look at all of these churches that are all mixed up with all kinds of people and doing this thing together and doing their dance. And, and, and guess what? Guess who's going to get the glory? Whenever you see Thriller, that, that dance, you think about who? Michael Jackson. Man, how did he put that dance together like that? Michael Jackson gets the glory for that dance. What Jesus is saying is, listen, can y'all just get in the position and do the dance? I'll take care of the rest. I just need you to get in the position to do the dance. But we won't get into position because as an individual, I don't need anybody else. I can do my dance by myself. <laughs> but the Bible said, no, you can't. I mean, you look okay doing it by yourself, but you need everybody. So everybody, but oh, look at that group of people over there, and they're moving all the same way. Look at that's beautiful. Who did that? Let me introduce you to Jesus. That's not happening. If anything, churches are losing people. Because folks have understood, they've figured something out. They figured out that we're, we're, we're at, at best, most churches are like social clubs. And they don't need another social club. And so they leave. And they also leave because they've, they've understood that churches are less authentic than people in the world, than the culture. Man, I love working for Amazon. 
I don't, I don't miss working for churches one bit. I don't. There are so many more authentic people working at Amazon in the warehouse than I'll ever get in the church. Because they don't walk around trying to put faces on, trying to look like something that they're not. Let me free all of you guys up for a second. We're all jacked up. Everybody, you do not have it together. I don't care how beautiful you look on your little Sunday morning clothes, you had, you're jacked up. <laughs> I, thank you. I, I sort of got everybody in this place saying amen. If we could just get there, like, man, I am, I'm just, I'm a messed up fool. I just know Jesus. And he kind of helps me walk through this thing. Period. That's all. I, I, that's all I got for you. And I'm going, I'm going to let you down. I'm, you're going, I'm, I'll do stuff. I'll think stuff that's crazy. All of that. But God, for some reason, he puts me up in front of people to talk about him. And I'm like, God, I don't understand. But okay. But that's the church. We are a community of broken people that need one another. Because we can't dance without my partner. The church is trying to do this dance, and then we don't know the schemes of the enemy. We got this hyper-politicism going, I love my party more than I love Jesus. And, and here's, here's just a, a, a snippet for you. As a believer, you are to live under a theocracy, not a democracy. This is your book. And yeah, we got laws in the country to keep things straight and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, I report to him. The prophet um, Micah was dealing with a people much like us, the Israelites. And again, they, they were just as jacked up as we are walking away from God, up and down in their faith to him. Same stuff that we do. Amen? <laughs> Y'all like, I ain't saying a word. I'm in church. It's okay. <laughs> Susie is not going to get you because you say. <laughs> so Amos is writing to the Israelites, and, he's, and God says to Amos, let's tell these folks, man, you guys are messing some things up here. You're not doing what I called you to do. I've raised you up so that you could be a light to the nations, and you are all about yourself. The Israelites did that too. And so Amos turns around, and he goes to God, and he says, well, God, what, what is it that we should do? What, what, I don't understand. What, what should man do? And God said, it's pretty simple. It's just three things. And the first thing he said is, do justice. Now, that's a bad word in a lot of churches in this country, a lot of white churches in this country. Because you start talking about justice, we could talk about reconciliation because that's nice and pretty. Hey, let's come together, have a little kumbaya moment. But when we start talking justice, like we got to redo some things from a, an institution and a government perspective, well then, oh, well, wait a minute. Then that hyper, um, excuse me, then that free will individualism kicks in. Well, it's not, it's not the government, it's the individual. If they were just, 
they would just work harder. If, if they were just not in trouble, if they were, if they were, uh, 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 if they were um, doing what the law tells them to do, then that cop wouldn't have to kill them. Do justice. And then he said, love mercy. How are we doing with that? Do, do you feel like the church is a merciful organization? We are merciful towards who we want to be merciful to. Merciful to. And then this is the hard one. And he says, and then walk humbly before your God. Humility. I don't know about y'all. That's a struggle for me. I'm prideful. I'm just, I told y'all, I'm just a jacked up individual. But Jesus still loves me. (laughs) And so are you. Do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly before your God. Can we do that? If we do that, man, this whole, the perspective of the church would change. Number three, so we got free will individualism. Number two, hyper-politicism. Number three, the schemes of the enemy. Blind racism. We're talking isms here. Um, so so it, it, is the, it, is, it is walking in this, this created social construct because race is not in the Bible. It, race is a social construct. Guess who constructed it? <laughs> Guess who perfected it? <laughs> America. Right? The creation of race was put in place so that American white folks could subjugate African people to build this great economy that we have now. That's it. And here, but here's the thing. Race, race continues and racism continues to morph into what it needs to be every generation. It's still here. It just looks different than, you know, me having to step down off the curb when a white woman walks by. I don't have to do that anymore. Isn't that great? It looks different, but it's still here. And here's the thing that, that, that really, man, I hate to say this, but it's so true. I've, I've been reading a few books, and when I preached messages like this, I used to say that the American white church was complicit in its handling of race in this country and racism. After the last two books that I've read, I've changed that statement. And now I say the American white church were the originators of all of it. The church. Don't get mad. Just pick up some books and read some of the messages preached by prominent white pastors during that time. Include my man, Jonathan Edwards. I know that messes you guys up. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. He wrote that he had slaves right out in his backyard. I don't hate on him because he's just like me. He's just like me. He's got his mess, his junk. It just happened to be slavery. <laughs> but God used that dude. I, I can't explain. I don't, have the, I don't have the answers to that. 
I've asked God a million times. He won't give it to me. But this racism thing is, is deep. It's deeply rooted in the DNA of who we are as believers. And you've got to do a lot of work to uproot that stuff so that God can begin to deal with it. You know that other stuff you have in your heart that you haven't given up to God yet? Hey, y'all go getting quiet on me again. <laughs> think, just think it through. You don't have to say amen. But that, 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 that besetting sin that you deal with all the time, and you, just, you, just, you know you, want, you, you have to give it over to the Holy Spirit, but you haven't done it yet? That's racism for the church. We'll do everything else except deal with this. And God says, you've got to deal with it. Why? Because, man, you've got to come together so that the world might know me. See, this becomes much bigger than um, an American problem. This is a gospel problem. And until we begin looking at it as a gospel problem, we'll always start keep dealing with it with these little programs and stuff. No, we got to do some chiseling of the heart and allow the Spirit of God to do some stuff, some work in you. That Hebrews, what is it, 4.12, that double-edged sword, that he'd get up in there and just kind of cu start cutting a lot of this stuff out. The, the problem is, and I called it blind racism, because some of us don't even know it exists. You're like, why are you even talking about this today, man? We're good. We had a black president. We're all good. We got a lot of work to do. Lastly, this scheme. Woo. Capitalism. That's one of the isms. It is the love of money. I'm not saying that you don't have to have them. I know we're in Williamson County. We got some rich folk around here. I'm not saying you don't need the money, right? It's great. But it is the, it is the love of money, right? Part of the reason I exited nonprofit work it's because I got tired of not being able to have these kind of messages, to teach these kind of messages, where people knowing that they're giving to whatever that organization is, whether it's a church or some other nonprofit organization, all they got to do is pull their money. I don't like what he had to say. I'm not giving to that organization anymore. And that sounds real crazy, but people do it in a church setting all the time. Some of you in here, because I preach this message today, y'all might roll and take your money with you, because you can. There are many other churches in this city that will welcome you with open arms and would never preach a message like this ever. They probably never even mentioned anything about George Floyd when that happened last two years ago, because they don't have to. That's called privilege. I'm sorry. <laughs> but it's true. The fact that you don't know a lot of the stuff that I'm talking about right now is your privilege. You don't have to know it. But watch this. I didn't know it. What you got to understand is I, I was educated in the same school systems that most of you guys were. I didn't get any of this stuff. Either my K through 12, my college, or my seminary. I didn't get any of this. The only reason I'm able to speak on these things is because I did my own personal work reading and just like blown away like, oh my gosh. Didn't know that the GI Bill was not made available to my grandfather. 
Did you know that? My grandfather, who fought in the same trenches as some of your grandfathers, comes home, and we got this great GI Bill, money for housing and for medical insurance and for college. It's all yours, unless you're black. Thanks for your service. Thanks for putting your life on the line. But no, we don't have any money for you. Oh, come on in, Mr. White Man. Let me get you set up. And then, you, you, and I, so I'm reading all and I'm starting to understand this wealth gap. Like, how, do, how is it? Are we just stupid? Are we just not that smart? Did we just not have the, the wherewithal to, to build wealth? No, it's got everything to do with institutions and structures. But if I'm a free will individualist, no, I don't believe that. And it continues. Y'all didn't got quiet on me. I told you. All right. So those are the schemes. So I know your question. I know what your question is. So what do we do? <laughs> right? Are we just doomed to fail? Sometimes I feel that way. A lot of times I feel that way. So what I was saying earlier, and that's why I love Journey, because I can, I can think on, man, <laughs> we got about 12 or 13 over at Journey, boy. Woo. I'm like Abraham, man. We still got a few. So what do we do? Real quickly. Um, Acts chapter 10. I love this story because this is the story of a Jew and a Gentile. Um, Acts chapter 10. This is, I don't have time to read everything. I'm just going to tell you the story. Peter and Cornelius. Anybody know the story? Peter and Cornelius. Peter, of course, the Jew. Cornelius is um, a Gentile who is over a regiment of, of, of warriors. The way this all went down is, the scripture will tell you in the first part of Acts chapter 10, that both of these brothers were in prayer when God spoke to them. And I will say this, if you're going to get involved in this kind of discussion, research, mission, you better be prayed up. Because the enemy is no joke. Again, he does not want unity. Why? Because when we unify, the world's going to know something about God and Jesus. So the enemy is, listen, if you jump into this like, all right, we're going to do some racial reconciliation, <laughs> you're going to get beat down. And some of it might be from family members. So you got to be prayed up. These, both of these guys were in prayer, and the Holy Spirit came to both of them and said, I need you guys to meet. Secondly, you got to be open. Like, if you pray, God, I want to do this, you better be open. Because the Holy Spirit is going to show you some different stuff. I told you, it's a lot of stuff I didn't know until I started reading. And the Holy Spirit was just dropping stuff on me. I was like, God, are you serious right now? you got to help me. Because now I'm mad. So you've got to be open to new information. And some of that inf- a lot of that information is going to be really hard. It's going to be hard. Steph said earlier, it's like, when you get into it, it is difficult. Tough conversations. 
I've been in classes where Steph's crying because of conversations she's had with her family members, and they just don't get it. But listen, she's in good company, right? Um, Peter, he, he, so he goes to the house. He's open to this new environment. Jews did not enter Gentile homes back then. So he goes in, and man, the Holy Spirit moves, and, and, and people are coming to Christ. So you will be blessed, but you got to go through the mess. If you're not ready to go through the mess, don't pray. Just walk out of here and say, man, that was great. I didn't know most of that stuff, but I'm just not ready. I won't be mad. At least you're honest. Peter was blessed, much like Steph and all the other folks who have been involved in this work. He was blessed. He saw God move, and you too will see God move when you start doing the work. But be careful because Peter was so hyped up. <laughs> he goes to his partners in, in chapter 11. Oh, let me say this real quick. Verse 34 of Acts. It says, then Peter began to speak. This is after he's in the house. He's seen God move, and he speaks. And this is what he says. He says, I now realize <laughs> how true it is that God does not show favoritism but accepts men from every nation, ethnos, ethnic group, who fear him and do what is right. Is that, is that, is that kind of crazy to anybody in here? This is Peter. Peter's walked with Jesus. Peter walked on water with Jesus. P Peter saw the crucified Christ risen from the dead. Peter denied him three times. Peter was then ushered back into ministry on the side of, the, of the, the, the Sea of Galilee. Peter preached messages and 3,000 would come to Christ. Next day, 4,000 would come to Christ. Next day, three more thousand. This is Peter. And it's not until Acts chapter 10 that he's like, oh. <laughs> so we aren't the chosen. Like God doesn't just like us. Now why do I bring that up? Because I've talked to people who say, I love Jesus. I'm not a racist. I'm like, um, when the last time you walked on water with Jesus? When the last time you preached the message and 3,000 people came to the Lord? So, okay, you love Jesus, but there are still things that you still got to allow him to do. Peter's, it's Peter. And he's now saying, oh, I, I got it now. Man. So don't think just because you've been saved for 25 years that you got it together. No, no. You got work to do. But beware, because Peter goes to his guys. Chapter 11, the apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of an uncircumcised man? Peter was like, oh, man, let me tell you all about this. I was hanging out with them white folks, man, and I preached the word, and they all was coming to cry. It was, it was wonderful. God moved. And they said, what you doing up in there eating pork chops, man? <laughs> they missed the entire move of God because of their racism. 
And we too will do that if we don't understand the schemes of the enemy and deal with them in ourselves. It's a tough message, I know it. We've all been raised in this racialized society. We all got this mess in us. And God wants to extract it so that you can be used mightily, so that you too, as a raised from the dead person, can get in there and do your dance. So the question this morning is, are you in place? Or are you still just kind of just walking around? I don't know. No. God says, man, you, you, you are a masterpiece. I, I've, I've already set the work up for you. You just got to get to the place. Let me start the music and you can you get your thing on, right? Right? You can start the dance. So the question is, what is your dance? Education, prayer, action. Right? Show up at the public. We will educate you. We will give you opportunity to act. But a lot of that is, is hard stuff. It's stuff that people don't want to talk about. We need to repair some stuff. Repair rations. I don't want to say the whole word because, I mean, people are like, wait a minute. I was with you until you started talking about that. <laughs> but when you, when you read historical, the historical narrative, what else is there to do but reparate? We got to repair this thing. We got to. And I don't, I'm not saying give somebody a check. That's probably not the answer, but let's start talking about what we could do. If we weren't able to purchase those homes in the great suburbs back in the day, even if we did get 2% of African Americans got the GI Bill, two. Even if they did get the money, nobody's trying to sell them a home out here in Franklin because the housing market was all jacked up with people who were in church on Sunday mornings, but in, in the office making rules and regulations that said, black people, y'all can't be here. So even, though if we, even if we got the money, we couldn't go to a good school because we weren't allowed into school, those schools. That's why we had to create our own HBCUs, historically black colleges and universities. So all of that stuff goes on, and it contributes to where we are today. So we've got to figure out how to make it better. And it's not just having Sunday morning services together. That's great. And there was a time when I was like, oh, man, that was wonderful. We had a great time. <laughs> and they went back to their million-dollar homes, and our folks went back to their little hut somewhere. And they felt good. We were with the black people yesterday. It's got to be more than that. It's got to be so much more than that. Right? Listen, um, I, you know, so, somebody told me, man, you got to leave those people with some hope. <laughs> um, this is my hope, man. This is my hope. I told you often I have said, God, I'm not doing this anymore. It's just not working. I'm wasting my time. And then the next day, somebody calls, hey, man, I need you to come and speak. And I'm like, oh, gosh. <laughs> All right, Lord, I'll stay in it. And he's like, don't lose hope. I am your hope. And so 
as you hear this, I know you're probably like, man, I don't understand how we're going to do any of this. This is, this is some hard stuff. Yes, it is. But it's the person who raised himself from the dead, not powerful enough to do something about this issue of racial division that we have going on in our country. Why is that so important? Because God said, if it happens, I'm going to be glorified. I'm, I'm the ultimate choreographer of the dance. And when they see you all doing that thing right, I'm going to get glory. Question. I got a bunch of them out on that table on your way out. Um, it's, it's so many of them. Um, somebody asked at the earlier service, what should you start with? I would probably say start with be the bridge um, because that is, is, it's less in your face. Um, don't start with white fragility. <laughs> I think I'm only, I'll lose you if you start with it. You know, I joke about that, but it, it really is a great book, and it's written by an unbeliever, which means she's very, like, straight in, in, in your face. Like, she ain't worrying about feelings. She's like, this is what it is, and this is a white woman, right? And she's gotten all kind of flack, but it's a great book, Yes. ThePublicFranklin.com. ThePublicFranklin.com. Get on our mailing list. We'll send you stuff out. Any more questions? Do we have time for more questions? Yes. So, thank you, by uh, the way. Mm. Yeah, thank you. Um, my question, you mentioned a number of times how you had to go through the process of learning for yourself. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious about what your personal experiences of just being a black man are in the context of what you said of how you had to learn it. How did it make sense after learning all that of your life experience? Well, um, that's a great question, by the way. Um, so here's the thing. I've seen the effects all of my life in my family. I just didn't understand how it happened. And America was tell, telling me that it was because either my family were um, lazy or not smart enough or whatever. No, they, don't, they didn't work hard enough. That's what, the work, that's what America was telling me. And so I'm looking at that, and then I'm starting to assume those stereotypes, right? So maybe I'm, maybe I'm late. Maybe I'm not smart enough, right? There were, there were times when I didn't go to school because I didn't feel like I, I, was, I, was, I had the aptitude to do it. And, and that was because I was being told. The media, like, you guys don't see it, but this, this information is always going out. And if you're not careful, you begin to assume that, even though it's not true, right? So I've been seeing this all of my life. And then when I started reading books, it gave me a narrative to understand it. So now I can look at my grandfather who, man, now that I think about the way things happen, my grandfather should have been a builder. He could have he built a lot of these, um, these big, uh, uh, what do you call them, um, neighborhoods around here. But back when he, because he, I mean, him, him and my dad built the home down in, in North Carolina. So I'm like, man, my grandfather could have been a builder. I would have been rich right now. <laughs> but, but he, I mean, back then, I mean, he was relegated to cleaning jobs at, at Bethlehem Steel in Baltimore. You know, so when they, when they migrated from the South during the Great Migration, the only job he could get was as a cleaner at Bethlehem Steel. My grandfather was brilliant. Right? So, but now I understand, I understand that, right? I, 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 re I remember my grandmother going off to clean white people's homes. 
I didn't understand. I thought that was just a job. I didn't realize that, dang, man. My grandmother cleaning people's houses. Why, why is she doing that? Well, I mean, we had to, we had to, we had to do things to get by, to make it. So I, I think reading and, and learning just kind of helped me understand my story. I didn't even know that my, I didn't know that my story was part of the Great Migration. I didn't even know about the Great Anybody here know about the Great Migration? That's great. Look, wow. So I, did, I didn't know, and I'm part of the Great Migration. That's how I got to Baltimore. My, my people fled the South during the Great Migration, and we ended up in Baltimore. So the Great Migration, for those of you who don't know, a bunch of African Americans from the South, from 19, really from the eight, late 1800s all the way up to the 70s, fled the South and went up north. That's, why, that's how we got all of these ghettos in New York and Boston, I mean, Baltimore and Philadelphia. Because when, even when we got to the north, we thought we, would get, we were going to the promised land. And the north was like, uh-uh, no, you won't. We're going to redline this city, and you can only live in this area. All this other stuff around here, these nice little neighborhoods and stuff, nope, no, you stay right here. That's how we got ghettos. It wasn't, we didn't move up there and say, hey, we all want to live right there. <laughs> no, we were like, we want to live where everybody else lives. We want to we get the same uh, 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 interest rates and stuff on these houses and get all of the, uh, the equity. We want all of that. No, we're going to redline you guys right here, and you stay right there. Oh, wait a minute. We, we're building some suburbs, so we're going to tear down your whole apartment complex so we can put this, this, um, this highway so that all of the white folks can drive from their suburban homes into the city to go to work. Like, all of that stuff. I didn't know any of that. And I'm, I, I know it now that I'm reading. Oh, okay. Um, I do have a question about educating our children. Uh-huh. Um, things like knowing that 50 to 55 years ago it was illegal to have a um, biracial couple, married yeah. couple, and things like the, the massacre in yeah. Oklahoma. All these heavy things as an adult that it's really hard to talk to children. Is there anything that you recommend, books, or just? So I, I, I differ with the difficulty of talking to kids about that. Um, there are many books that are being written now, kids' books, that communicate that in a way that is palatable for the kids. Um, but I, I am adamantly opposed to this whole narrative from Moms for Liberty that, you know, we don't teach it in the schools because Johnny is going to be crying. And no, that's part of the reason why we're still dealing with this. How many of y'all in here didn't know half of the stuff I'm talking about? There it is. Right? How many of y'all feel like, man, I wish I would have known this. I wish I'd been taught this. So we're raising another generation. If Moms for Liberty has their way, we'll raise another generation, and they'll be sitting here in Journey in 25 years like, why didn't I know this? So, yeah, I mean, there are I got a friend that writes kids' books to communicate these things in a less, yeah, in-your-face way so that they don't feel... Now, I will say this. I think they need to feel a little bit. They need to. And so that they'll say, man, I'm not, I'm not going to let this happen. When I get to a place where I'm at a business or something, I'm going to make sure this doesn't happen. But if you don't know it, you just kind of, I guess I'll hire this guy here because he's my friend, and all I have is white friends, so I'm hiring him. It's not because I'm racist. That's just my, that's my, 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 my circle of influence. I don't know any other African Americans to hire. 
So when I start developing relationships across the racial divide, then maybe, oh, I know someone, so let me call him up. He probably knows some guys. And that's how you start integrating business and all of that. But it starts with relationship. If you don't have that, you don't, you don't have anybody to call. You're just like, oh, let me call my friend. But if you have, you have a relationship across the, 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 the divide, you have friends. I have, my life is, is full because I have all kinds of friends. And so people call me, you know anybody? Oh, yeah, I know so-and-so. Sometimes he might be a black guy, sometimes he might be a white guy. Sometimes he might be Hispanic, sometimes he might be um, Middle Eastern. Yes. One yes. more question. Okay. Uh, I know when I was growing up, it was, you know, I, being a white kid, you are just taught racism is bad, Martin Luther King Jr. is good. <laughs> You know, and you think racism is over and, and that kind of thing. And yeah. it wasn't until I got into college and some of my African-American friends started sharing with me their personal experiences that are things that are, as a white person, I never had to deal with or pay attention because of my privilege. And, um, but I'm just wondering, what are some of those things that maybe uh, black people feel that white people don't feel or see, have a chance to see really because they don't, they're not dealing with that on a daily basis. Like, you um, know, feelings of just like walking into a room and, you know, I don't know if there's anything like that that you can share from your personal experience. So, my, I can only share it personally. I, I think, um, I, I think as, as a group, so African Americans are not a monolith, not monolithic people, right? We, we don't all believe the same thing and all that, right? Um, so, I, that's why I say I'm speaking for me personally because I can't speak for the entire race, right? Um, but um, I have spoken with people who just feel like white people don't care. They don't, they don't care, man. Why are you doing all that? And that's because they don't have a relationship, right? So they, they don't know, they don't have friends who, they, who I know I have friends that would take a bullet from me anytime that are white. And so I'm like, no, I said, I hear what you're saying, but it's not that they don't care. I said, it's that they don't know. They don't know. Most of the people that I've talked to when they know, when they really like start understanding, they're like, oh my gosh, we got to do something. Now, you, you still have the, uh, the others, right? You're always going to have, you know, the folks who will, you know, white supremacy all the time. Now, I'm not, they, I ain't talking about the, the groups. I'm talking about people who are just okay with the status quo, right? But by and large, I think most African Americans feel like white folks don't care. They don't care. Um, and I say, no. I think, I think you're wrong. I, said, I just don't think they know. In terms of walking into a room, man, I, I've, I've experienced that many times. Like, because in business, I'm pretty much the only black person in the boardroom sometimes, presenting or either at the board table. And you just, you know, you walk in and you're like, okay, what are they thinking? It's, it's immediate. It's not even a conscious, it's a subconscious thing. Like, I've got to overperform. I've got to speak. My diction has to be sp specific and you know because I am representing my race because this might be the only time that they have experience with a black person so I've got to be on point right I've got to speak with proper English right because they I need to let them know that what they think about most black people is not true yes
Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that'd be a good a good comment to close on. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for being here. Um, the public is really a great place to keep asking these kinds of questions. I mean, like that's what a lot of the time in the gatherings at the public are um, times where, where we just ask these questions and, and even, even hard ones that we might think might be offensive, are, it's a safe place to ask those questions. So I again wanna encourage you to, to come out and, and try it out. Um, we are gonna, the band's gonna come back up and oh, they're almost, they're coming back up. And um, <laughs> we're going to close. And I'm sorry that we went over a little bit, but we felt like it was worth it. Yeah, thank you. So we are going to have a chance to respond because, again, like all of this has to be given over to the Lord. And we need to have our time with him and to make space for God to have his way with us in it. So I recognize with a conversation like this, we have the, the spectrum of feelings and thoughts that um, we're experiencing. Like some of us are like, thank God I'm, I'm going to a church that's not afraid to talk about this stuff. And some of us are like, I'm so tired of hearing about this. And this makes me angry. This makes me sad. This makes me afraid. This makes me uncomfortable. Whatever it is that you're feeling, that feeling is so welcome here. And what's awesome, even more awesome, is that you are welcome in the sight of God to have those feelings and to take them to him and let him have his way with you. So I would encourage you in the first step of that is to just acknowledge what it is you're feeling and, and get curious about it and ask God, what would he have you do? Is it to get more education? Is it to make some new friends that don't look like you? Is it to ask more questions? Is it to spend more time in Ephesians or Acts 10 or Micah? You know, that we've all got something that God might have for us in this room. I am so convinced of it because of what he said through Jesus in that prayer for those disciples and for us. And the, to that last question that Camden asked of Anthony, I would add that one thing that African-American people of color don't get to do that we get to do is we can walk out this door and not have the conversation again and we cannot think about it again and we can go about our lives and avoid this as long as we live but anthony can't so that's something to think about as well in our response so god you are so good to us and you are so welcoming to us and you love us in our truth of where we are in the raw of our emotions and our thoughts you receive us and so god we receive your holy spirit to have your way with us in this time of response and as we go to the stations around the room god and we receive the bread and the cup god we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We celebrate, God, the fact that we are all welcome at your table and that we participate in this ministry of reconciliation that was ignited by your son, Jesus. 
And God, as we come to the stations around the room, God, we, we um, also celebrate that we're a community and we're not meant to be carrying all this alone. And so as we write our prayers and, and leave them for those who have committed to pray with us and alongside us throughout the week, God, we pray that you would open our hearts and our minds and our spirit to your presence. We love you.